Well, welcome back to On Being People, our little podcast where we unpack issues of what it means to be a human being created by God. And uh, we're so grateful that you're back here. You've found episode three, so well done. You've persevered, hopefully, through the first two and found something interesting there. This is a chat between myself, Keith Baker, and... Paul Lucas. G'day, Paul. And uh, we're both ministers here at St. Paul's Church in Castle Hill in Sydney, Australia. And hopefully this will be informative for you. We just like to chat about the Bible and some of these issues to help our thinking. And we're joined here by our wonderful producer, Hugh Humphreys. G'day, Hugh. Hello. Great to be here. Fantastic. Great to have you with us. So how's things going with you, Paul? Yeah, it's been a pretty good week, <clears throat> heading towards a, a preaching Sunday, so preparing that, and it's been great being in the Book of Acts to do that. Yep. Uh, yeah, and things are going pretty good at home and stuff. I'm looking forward to Father's Day and all the gifts that I may or may not receive. <laughs> How's your week been? Any, any hints of what you... This well, will, they'll probably hear this afterwards, so... I did get a text from my son saying, do, asking me if I had a commentary on Daniel. Okay. And I wrote back to him and said, I do, thanks. Uh, I said, but I prefer a pair of boardies. But what he actually wanted to do was borrow my copy. <laughs> yeah. that, uh, nice try. I was trying to be smart, Alec. And, uh, anyway, there you go. That's good. I like How's it. your week been? Uh, good. Busy, busy, doing good things, okay. talking to good people, uh, managing the COVID season that we're still in, yeah. which is you know stretching us and having to think about new ways of church mm. and new ways of communicating, which actually gave birth to this podcast, yeah, really. Yeah. So, uh, Are you finding a bit of rhythm in COVID now to life or uh, is it still a bit... Getting used to the new rhythms. Yeah, okay. Yeah, things that we want to do, which we can't do, and yep. finding alternatives to those things. Yeah. 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 Mm. How about for you, mate? Like, you're running your own business, Hugh. Is that... Yeah, it's been a weird few months, like, to say the least, but I think the last few weeks have felt like it's returning a little bit more to normal. Like, we went on a shoot down on the South Coast the other week, for the, mm. which is really the first time we've been out of Sydney for a shoot, for sure. me, for the last, you know, many months. Um, and it was just nice, just good to be out and about shooting something, you know, making something fun and, and working with cool people. And yeah, so it right. kind of feels like a little bit of normalcy has returned, but I, you know, I'm under no illusions that it's going to keep going like that. So I don't know. Sure. It's, it's, yeah, but it's going all right. Good. It's good to hear. Good, good. Well, today uh, we're going to jump into a, a different sort of topic from what we've been talking about. They say there's two things that are inevitable in life, death and taxes. We're not talking about taxes, but we are going to talk about death today. Uh, because death impacts all of us as people. Mm. And so we want to explore a little bit about how it does that, what the Bible has to say on some aspects of death, uh, and just get a chat going around that. Yeah, Um, because it does shape us as well in all of that. So hopefully we can think about how it shapes us as people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I found this interesting quote from an, an American anthropologist called Ernest Becker. Uh, he wrote a book back in the 70s called The Denial of Death. And he wrote this. He said, The idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is a mainspring of human activity, activity designed largely to avoid the fatality of death, to overcome it by denying in some way that it's the final destiny for man. In other words, we're all terrified of death yeah. and it shapes us. What do you think about that? Yeah. And I think the science in that quote is 100% of us are going to die. I think the stats are pretty... <laughs> They're in. Are out yep. there. Mortality <laughs> rates up, up around the 100. Yep. <laughs> it pretty much is. Yeah, it is. And I think it's a topic that does affect all of us in amazing ways. And I think for us, it has 
affected us. Mm. Um, so I want to acknowledge that it is real. Mm. We're not just talking in abstract ideas here. Um, it has and even shaped. And I think for me, when um, it was something that I went through with someone in my family, not, not only did it shape the way I think about death, but it actually was a, a major growth time mm. in my relationship with Jesus at that time too. Mm. So it shaped me in that way as well. Why do you think that was? Why do you think that was a growth period for you? What was it about that experience you think that led to the growth? I think I had to maybe answer questions that I hadn't asked before. Uh, even though I, I think I knew things about my faith, my beliefs, um, that kind of thing. I had, I'd had grandparents who died, but I kind of felt oh, they had a great innings, yep. that kind of thing. So I think what shaped me is it, it made me ask deeper questions of myself. It made me ask questions of my hope, mm. um, about more, my mortality. Um, is is there more than this? Is 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 this all there is? Mm. And I think if once I looked beyond that, uh, hope meant so much more, yep. and it was more tangible. Yep. Maybe that's one of the things that shaped me. Yeah, yeah. It sort of confronts you with the reality of whether you really believe this kind of thing or not. I had that similar experience with. My mother passing away last year and mm. visiting her in the hospital and even being in the room after she passed away with with her with her body and going wow yeah. this is so confronting um and talking to other members in my family who are asking me you know what happens mm. is this the end what yeah. what is there beyond this yeah so it is, you're right it is a real question that really impacts us it it impacts us in Others that we know who've yeah. died, but also for each one of us ourselves, it's looming somewhere, mm. Mm. you know, and COVID at the moment keeps putting it front and center for us. We're getting a death tally every yeah, day mm. and government policies being shaped by avoiding death. Mm. Uh, so it is very much in the public eye, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I remember even someone saying that it's shaped our Western culture in our attitude towards aging, that is, aging is a sign that you're getting close to death. Yeah. And so what we want to do is make it look like we're not aging, hence all the anti-wrinkle creams and having <laughs> wrinkles is bad and having, you know, Botox yeah. and things put in our face so that we don't look like we're getting older. And if we don't look like we're getting older, we can pretend that death's further away further or away. it's not approaching us. That yeah. was a, a fascinating observation. It is interesting that, that that we act like that, don't we? Stanley Halvers talks a little bit about that and why we put our faith in those sorts of things so much. But I wonder, my, my, I guess one of my questions is, why is death something that we fear so much? What, what, what is it that's fueling that, do you think? I wonder if it's questions about whether it's the end. Um, certainly, as we observe death around us, it appears as though whatever people's experience was in life, their ability to relate, enjoy, all of those things finishes. Mm. It's the, it feels like a finish as we look at it. Yeah. And as we experience that, we know that there's, we will end in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And I don't want to end. I don't want to lose other relationships if they end, but I don't want to end either. This is something terrifying about that. Mm. Uh, so I, I wonder whether that's part, part of, of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, I want to go to the Bible on this yeah, okay. because I think it speaks to that fear of death. Yep. Um, Hebrews 2, uh, verses 14 and 15, says this. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, and children there is just a reference to humanity in the context. Yep. He too, that's Jesus, he too shared in their humanity. Yep. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Mm. Isn't that fascinating that it speaks right into this, that secular anthropologists have noticed that we have this fear of death and the Bible was there thousands of years before. Yeah. Uh, And what it says there is two things that are really interesting, I think. The power of death is held by the devil, but Jesus, by his death, has broken that so that we don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Yeah. Now, why is that? Why? Yeah. That's a, that's a really good question because as I'm thinking about this quote, it, it seems that if we're going to think theologically, anthropologically, anyway, whatever that's supposed it's to be. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, that, is that God's view of death is obviously different to ours. So when we as humans or people think about death so with such finality, God is saying, well, actually, by Jesus' death, it's actually not final. Mm. And not only is it not final, I'll remove the fear of it. Yeah. So God's view of death is not something that can thwart what he wants to do. It doesn't get in the way of his creating and redemptive power. Yeah. Which it, it, which is why we, you know, we're no longer held by that, that fear of death. So God's view of death is so important for us to grasp because yes. it's not, it doesn't have the finality that we seem to put on it, Yes, uh, which was obviously in that quote from Ernest Becker. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fascinating that uh, there is something about death which feels foreign to what God was intending to do in the first place. Yeah. Uh, I've just reminded, you know, is that, Trivial pursuit question, you know, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Uh, and it, it's Jesus wept, which is two words. But in Greek, it's one word, actually. Yeah. It's a, well, a one-word verse. Uh, but why did Jesus weep? You unpack the context of that. He wept because Lazarus had died. And it's not that he didn't have power over death or felt like he controlled it because he's about to raise him. Mm. But there's something about being confronted by the fact that he died and the sorrow, I think, that it had caused his family mm. and others around, that brings God himself to tears. Yeah. Now, that says something about how foreign or tragic death yeah. is. And yet, God walks right into that in his son and uses that to unlock the, us from the slavery of it. It's, it's yeah. sort of mind-blowing, isn't it? It is mind-blowing. And even Philippians uses the language obedience to death. Yes. And then obviously qualifies that by saying death on a cross. So it's not just death and it being obedient to that, but the shamefulness of the kind of death that he died. So, yeah, he walked right into it, yep. put himself, subjected himself to the same kind of evil. Yeah. That is a re- I actually think that John eleven thirty six is interesting because th- those two words, and yes, he's weeping over Lazarus' death, as you say, and the fact, but the presence of death. Yeah. 
you know, Jesus knows that. Yep. Um, this is not what kind of was, yeah, it's foreign. That's, that's the word. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think it's interesting with that as well is that the concept of fearing death and not fearing death, I think, even though you don't have to be afraid of death because of, you know, through Jesus's death and resurrection, it doesn't take away the humanity of the emotions that go around it. Like just because you don't have to be afraid of death doesn't mean that you're not going to experience sorrow and sadness and loss and grief and all of those things. I think just, you know, Western society is not great at dealing with all of those other human natural emotions around death other Mm. than death itself. Like obviously that part of it is inevitable, but it's kind of feel people want to be like, if I just avoid dealing with death at all, Mm. I can avoid dealing with all those other emotions and processing and cultural things that go along with that as well as fearing that. So it's like people are afraid of experiencing grief. People are afraid of experiencing sorrow because they don't know what that's going to do to them. There's so much unknown with that, even if they're not necessarily afraid of death. Yeah. So, so is it natural to think like, because Keith used the word death is foreign to our creation, which is, I think the right word, Mm. but do you think that, um, so your comment was interesting is, does that mean that grief is something that ought to be foreign to us as well? Because I, if I don't have death and I don't experience that or someone and I don't have to grieve, is, is it foreign for us to grieve until I'm be sad? Or should, is that something we can, we can embrace? Well, it's interesting, is it? Because the new creation, there is no more tears. Yeah, that's right. So I, don't, I, I take mm. that to mean there is no more grief. Mm. Now, you go back to was there always intended to be grief in this creation? And that's a bigger, it's question. A bigger question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it um, is. But... Aside, I think you're right that um, whether it originally was foreign or not, it's it's real now. Mm. Jesus shown that it's real, authentic part of. If Jesus is the image of God, mm. and He grieves, certainly right for us to grieve. Mm. And uh, your observations, I think, are spot on from my experience of taking funerals, and probably yours as well, Paul. Mm. Um, there are a lot of people who. Uh, you know, the, the dark sunglasses is that people don't want to see them grieve. Mm. And it's almost like they're fighting not to grieve. I want It's something sort of strange in, in Western culture. I, I, I've always been fascinated with the, the Jewish custom. Is it called shivers? They sit shivers. So the, the family and the relatives, well, the family sits for four or five days. It's like a week. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and people drop in and out and as a chance to reflect on the life, yeah. to mourn, to laugh, to eat and remember. Mm. And there's something about that that, you know, the one hour funeral tries to do, which can't. Mm. And uh, we, we keep it to one hour because you kind of want to get it over and done with, the yeah. grief side of it. Um, and even in that at funerals, we, you know, congratulate people for being able to get through their eulogies without breaking down. And I think that seems so like just so futile of that attempt to be like, good on you. You didn't show any emotion. Yeah. It's like, why is that? I, a I find that strange. Yeah. Why I, is that I think virtue? that's very yeah. strange. Yeah. Well, well, wakes are often jovial. Like people are, you know, yeah. exchanging. It's okay to exchange memories, but it's almost like, oh yeah, I'm okay. You know? Yeah. I wake it. Oh, I've got closure now so I can muck around a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's how that sort of stuff displays itself. If we go back to the God, God's perspective on death. Yep. I was thinking, because um, you mentioned Philippians 1 at some, um, or we were thinking about Philippians 1 and 21, where for Paul to die is gain. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Yeah, and I think it comes back to what we were talking about before in terms of 
God's view on death is not as final as ours. Yes. So what does it mean for Paul when he says to die is gain? Yes. Well, there's a certain level of assurance that he has to have, I think, Mm. to be able to say that. That is, he's convinced that death is not the full stop. Death is more like a comma uh, leading Mm. to the next clause, which in heaven is infinite. (laughs) Uh, And so he's in that Philippians passage, end of his life in jail, all that sort of stuff. He's genuinely saying, look, it's good for me to stay here because I can minister to you, but actually... I'm not afraid of dying. Dying is gain because I will get to experience the Lord who died and rose for me in a face-to-face way that uh, I don't have now. Yeah. Yes, he's aware of the Lord's presence with him by his spirit, but it's not that face-to-faceness that it will be uh, when this earthly existence is finished. Yeah. And so that's why he's saying that there is gain. There's mm. genuine gain in that. There is. And I wonder whether there's something of that that Christians need to recapture, you know, particularly in the wealthy Sydney, Harbour City, best city in the world. Yep. You know, you go and look no at Sydney, Sydney Harbour on it. It's 30 <laughs> degrees outside today. Nowhere else we'd rather be than at Manly Beach or Bondi or looking at the harbour. It's magnificent. And God's blessed, you know, a lot of us with wealth and stuff. And we just go... Well, what we want, we don't want to lose this. This is as good as it gets. Yeah, well, it's, it's not as good as it gets. Yeah, that's um, right. And to die is genuine gain. And if we believe that and let it flow back and shape our life and shape our decisions, mm. I wonder how different we would be. Mm. You know, if we genuinely believed that that heaven is better. Mm. Now, most people at St Paul's will know. We have a, a child with disabilities mm. and lots of different parts of his body don't work. And that's tough at one level, but the gift of that is that we long for heaven mm. because there's the resurrection, which I think we'll talk about in another topic. Mm. Um, but there's a reality where all those things that don't work on the on the other side of our earthly death is going to be something better, a, an existence that, that will better be better for him and our experience of, mm. of him. Uh, and affluence, wealth, hiding death away robs us of that longing, I think. Yeah, great point. Yeah. Yeah, and that can happen, I think, even when we grieve. Because when we're grieving the loss of someone, it's really our pain, not theirs. And I think when you asked before about what I learned when uh, I went through this experience with someone, like because my brother was a believer, at the more I thought about it, the more I thought, actually, he's now got what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Why would I want to rob him of that? Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's where I want to head. That's where I want my family to head, friends. And so I don't. I wouldn't want to rob him yep. of that. He his death has meant his gain. Yes. Yeah. And I think there's a lovely convergence of a couple of things we've been talking about here. If you know that that his death is his gain, and yet the reality of grief that we are meant to feel is that uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, I think, talks about Christians as being ones who should grieve but grieve with hope. Yeah. That is, it's right to grieve because losing things is is sad and it's okay to feel the sadness of that. Uh, death is foreign and that robbing of relationships is, is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we don't 
wail and mourn as if that is the end. No. There is no more hope. There is nothing because mm. there is something for those whose trust is in Jesus. Yeah. We know where they are. Everyone else, it's up to God to work out what to do with them, you know, based on his goodness and justice and that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so we should grieve, but we should grieve knowing that they've got gain, yeah. like you were saying. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and hence the urgency to proclaim Jesus. Yeah, um, very much so. Yeah. Now, one more little bit of the Bible before we head to our great moments, yeah. I think. Uh, there's that wonderful passage at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Mm-hmm. which talks about what Christ has achieved for us in his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus really is a defeat of death. It's sort of taking death head on and coming out the other side. Mm. And it talks about where a death is your victory, mm. you know, where a death is your sting. Because Jesus takes our sin away on the cross he takes away the power of the law to convict us of that sin yeah. because he's been convicted and tried and then acquitted mm. in our place. And so the dying is gain comes out of Jesus' death in our place mm. so that when we face death, we're not facing it fearing the judgment of God, fearing the law's power to condemn us. All of that sting, all of that... Um, terror mm. of that situation has been taken away. Someone once put it to me like this. You can tell me if it's a good illustration. It stuck with me. <laughs> death, <I'll tell> you. <laughs> death is, you know, we, we feel death is like a truck that's going to hit us and flatness and that's the end of it. But yep. because of Christ, the truck still comes, but the sh- it's the shadow that overpasses us. So we're kind of left standing, even though we experience the trucks coming past us, yeah. you know. Do with it what you will. It's an, That's it's a, a, it's, it's a it's an attempt to try and work out that yeah. we're going to have to face death. Yeah. But it doesn't hold that terror. Yeah. Yeah. Which which adds to the enormity of what Jesus did, really, because he actually didn't have to face death. Yeah. And 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 part of the fact that you know his resurrection is um, uh, evidence of the vindication of God. Uh, he he died an innocent person. Yes. Death is here because we're not innocent. And that's what makes his death actually so remarkable. Yeah, it's not just another crucifixion uh, in in the first century. It's it's the crucifixion of an innocent man, even recognised by a Roman soldier who'd seen thousands of crucifixions. That's what makes that his death so remarkable. Yeah, and that's what should make give us so much joy in the fact that we've brought out been brought out of that that death can actually be gained. Yeah. I find that just adds weight to the power of his death that he was innocent. Yeah, absolutely. Which it just picks up on your substitution idea. Yeah, no, very good. Mm. Now, it's time for great moments in theological anthropology yes. where what we want to do is just introduce, you know, a brain that's bigger than any of ours <laughs> who's thought profoundly on the topic that we're talking about yeah. and just uh, get a bit of that flavour. Yeah. So, what do you got for us, Hugh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll let you take it from here, Paul. <laughs> yeah. This was again, like I said at the beginning. How do we uh, direct where we're going with this? So it was hard to find something. But um, a guy I really like reading, uh, Dr. Richard Borkham, has written a book called Hope Against Hope, and he had this interesting quote in there that I think addresses what we've been talking about today. So I'll share that with you for our great moments today. Brilliant. Uh, and he says this. Uh, Death robs us all, 
sooner or later, of everything that is good in this life, as well as releasing us from its pains. I think that's an important thing. Because we know we have to die, we cannot get enough of living. The, this lack, so this not getting enough of living, this lack leads us duly to the frenzied struggle for power and influence. These in turn generate fear and suspicion of our competitors in the struggle for life and breed resentment and aggression on the part of those who are less successful in this struggle. Injustice breeds violence and leads to death. But injustice is itself the offspring of death, and it can only finally be redeemed by the hope of life in all its fullness. Wow. So it's a great quote, and he's, he's showing us like, like the implications of death in that quote, but also that we, we, if we can't get enough of living, and part of the reason I think for that is because we think that this is all there is. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. And if I'm going to live my life thinking that this is all there is, death has that finality about it, and I'm going to try and bleed it for everything it's worth, no matter what it might cost. And yeah. Even if it means injustice, I'm going to try and bleed it. Yeah. Unless we're redeemed by the hope of life in all its fullness. Yeah. So uh, he brings that sort of stuff together really beautifully. Yeah, it really does. That There was that line, it was the frenzied rush that that is so powerful, and I think it's right. It's it's the the that desperate dash to the try and get to the top of the mountain. Yeah, uh, life is short. Yeah, life is short. It's sort of, and it's the only one you got. Yeah. So, uh, and it's interesting where that where that takes yeah. people. Um, Generates and, fear and suspicion in other people and struggle. Yeah, and if you you reverse that and say the Christian has nothing to fear from death. Uh, recognizing its sadness, but nothing to fear, then we don't actually have to live like that. We don't have to grab all we can and hold it as tightly as we can because otherwise we won't be a winner at life. We're free to actually care for others at cost to ourself because death is a comma. It is. And we'll be rewarded and there's good things laid up for us. So we can have loose hands. We can care for others. Mm. Uh, we don't have to let our own identity be shaped by this desperate rush for who will people think we are before we die. Yeah, We don't have to have the legacy of the headstones or the, the monuments like the Greeks and Romans did. You know, we were in mm. Rome last year and people's names are up, still standing from the Roman Empire so that yeah. we'll remember them. But yeah. they did that because they were worried once they were gone, no, that was it for them, you know, so they mm. live on by their name chiseled in stone. We don't have to do that. We don't. Our names are written in the palm of the hand of our God. They, they, they live on forever. Mm. Yeah. It changes. And even it's a frenzied struggle for power as well as influence. So. Yeah. Yeah, our view of power changes. Yeah, as as a Christian, you know, the display of God's power. We talked about this in the Heroes episode. What that actually looks like. Yep. And, and you, you know, like you said, you're the Romans. We have the statues, but even the Egyptians with trying to mummify people so that they will have a certain level of power in the afterlife. Yep. That we're trying to hold on to all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 God releases us from that. That's it. Praise God. Praise God. Amazing. <laughs> so good. And it kind of changes the approach that you have to things like you know, social justice and like equity for more people in that sense of being able to, it's not just about trying to grab what you can hold and hold onto yeah. it so tightly for yourself because once you die, you, you know, you have, it has no value to you anymore. So you can, you know, it's kind of that instruction to share more equally and 
support the the poor and the alien and the orphan, you know, all those things. I think it's yeah. that's I think the the kind of takeaway that I get from that as well is that that yeah. those injustices are a product of being afraid of death, yeah, yes. not just what leads to death. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, that's really helpful, and that actually picks up an Acts four vision of church. You know, that yeah, everyone's meeting the needs of everybody else because they're not trying to hold on to those things. Yeah, great point. It's interesting uh, hearing some examples of Christians who've started businesses and the way they treat their staff and their view of how they're going to go about providing whatever product it is that they provide in the market is completely different. Uh, their staff don't just become means to a bottom line. Mm. Their staff are actually people. So yeah. they treat them like people and they care for them. And actually they discover in that process, it leads to better productivity anyway. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, but all of that is because they're not doing business out of fear to build their pile of wealth. You know, mm. uh, they're doing business to, to contribute to the world, to, to give people jobs, yeah. to all of, all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's great, Paul. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Welcome. He is a mega brain. He Richard is. Balcom. And uh, anything you can grab your hands, uh, grab of his, put your hands on and read. Worth reading. His will repay the effort. Yeah. So what are we going to take away from this? Keith, what are the implications of what we've been talking about? Well, death has been dealt its death blow <laughs> by Christ. <laughs> I was looking for another word. There it is. But, but you gotta, you got to use it. You do. And so uh, we need to, I think, be reminded of that every day. I think every, every time we see the COVID death stats, mm. Um, we need to say that may happen to us, but it does. It holds no terror. Yeah, and we need to let uh, God's love for us in Christ be the shaping power in our life, not the terror of mm. death. Be the shaping power, mm. and when we do that, we'll let those kind of values of loving God and loving others mm. be the primary sort of priority shaping powers in our life rather than I'm going to die. So what do I need to get done? Yep. You know, that this whole frenzy of a bucket list. Yeah. That's fine. If you want to, there's things in life you want to enjoy, mm. enjoy them because there's God's creation, but there's no panic of I've got to get this done or I'll never do something good. Mm. No, 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 no. Whatever's waiting for you in heaven. You know, there's all the bungee jumping in the world you want to do. You can, <laughs> you can right. climb Mount Kosciuszko times infinity in heaven. You know, like whatever it is, yeah. is your bucket list. Yeah. Um, that bucket list thing reminds me of the the, the quote, the Richard Bockham, that frenzied, I've got to tick everything yeah. off because my time's coming. Yeah, it does. We don't have to live like that. Mm. But I think on the other side, what it does mean for us, the way it should shape us is – if Christ is the one who's broken the power of death, we've got to let people know mm. Christ is the one. Yeah, we do. Um, and actually, it will, it will change the way we view sharing Christ with others. We're not trying to break into their world and tell them we know something better than they do. We're trying to say, we've found the one who's broken the power of death that will release you from that kind of treadmill frenzy. Mm. That it's the greatest act of love to try and help you get out of that slavery of fear of death, mm. um, because the world wants to keep saying you. Everyone's got to 
have their own worldview and don't anyone tell anyone else what to do. Mm. But, you know, if there was a room full of people with cancer and you said, we've found that I have the cure for cancer, but I'm not going to tell you because you should just live with your cancer. That, that's not loving. That's mm. You'd want to take it to them. It's up to them whether they take it or yeah. not, but you'd want to share it because yeah. you think it's the best thing for them. Yeah. And Christ is that mm. when it comes to death. Yeah. Everyone has some sort of opinion on death. You, mm. you just do. Mm. In fact, it's not a bad way. I, I don't mind that as a way of starting to talk to Jesus. Mm. I tried it on a cab driver in Melbourne once. I was picked up from the airport. <laughs> I tried it on a cab driver. And I, was, <laughs> and I was being driven to a conference and I thought, I've probably got a 20-minute drive here. So he's, he said hello and I, and I said, okay, I've got 20 minutes. Let me ask you this question. What do you think happens when we die? And he just laughed and he said, are you serious? <laughs> Uh, that's a terrible <laughs> accent. But I, I think he was of subcontinental extract. Uh, but it was a great conversation because he had an opinion. And yeah. I said, great, thanks for sharing. Can I tell you what I think? <laughs> he went, oh, well, I guess I've told you my ideas. So you tell me yours. And there we go. And then and there it was. Yeah. There it was. Uh, great opportunity, mate. Mm, well taken. Mm. Can I throw an, uh, an, another implication? Yeah, please do. Um, just an idea. If it's no good, it's no good. But um, I was thinking about. Yeah, this idea we we went from Hebrews where we're freed from the slavery of death, yeah, uh, and, and what that actually looks like for us. Yeah, and in some ways, is is the danger here that okay, I'm freed from that slavery of death now, so I can just do what I want. Yep. Maybe go after the bucket list, but because I don't have that anymore, I can just throw myself into stuff, do whatever I want, and I don't have to fear it. Yep. Um, and to me, that can be foolish living. Yep. Um, so. Another implication of our view of death is that maybe what it actually means is that we can love with abandon. Yeah. So we like actually that. have more to give. So rather than living foolishly, we live lovingly yeah. um, to build others up. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is picking up on your proclamation idea. But also, so, you know, you don't go and do things because um, you don't fear death anymore because of the people that it might affect. Yeah. Um, you have responsibilities in places. So what it allows us to do is to do those things with abandon. Yeah. Uh, and so what the lack of the fear of death means is I can actually love more. Yeah. I think is an implication. Yeah. Anyway, that's an idea. No, that's there. great. No, I love it. Mm. No, it's spot yeah. on. That's brilliant. So Very love good. with abandon in Christ. Love with abandon. Yeah. Very good. Well, should we um, wade into the waters of bad poetry? I mean poetry, and um, <laughs> and and because this is a, an area where you've been thinking about stuff and where you want to be a bit creative. Well, Keith? well, I, I know my brief is to go and find a, a poem that sums it up. Yes, but I, I am convinced that I can contribute here. Okay, and um, I have actually written a poem. You have, yeah, excellent. So as we um, think about wading into the waters, are, is it are the waters calm or are we going to be tossed around? <laughs> Anyway, I'll we'll, let you be the judge of that. <laughs> we'll leave it with you, brother. Take it away. So, so this poem is called Death the Bad Pet. Okay. okay. <laughs> By Keith Baker. I'm not sure I actually want to put my name to it. <laughs> it's out there. Death the Bad Pet. If death were a pet, I bet it would have big fangs, crazy eyes, stinky, covered in flies. The sort of pet you didn't want and now won't go away. It stays and hovers waiting for something to drop 
not food, but you. Plop. (laughs) And then takes you away, leaving everything behind. Your friends, your stuff, your mind. How terrifying. Not worth skywritering. (laughs) On reflection, death would be a terrible pet. No one has been able to tame death yet, except one, the sun. He faced down death, big fangs and all. At the cross, undid the fall and domesticated the beast. Our fears now calmed like inactive yeast. (laughs) So when you go to get a pet... Choose a cat or a dog or a fish or a bird that lays eggs. Not a metaphor with fangs and legs. There was a bright moment there. <laughs> was it Thank the you not skywritering <laughs> rhyming with terrifying? I, I think that was the high, high point, actually. We should get that in the Oxford Dictionary, that word. Um, I think there's a whole children's book series in this. <laughs> Death the Bad Pet. <laughs> Draw the fangs, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I actually did find a good poem. Yep. And and look, Christians are ones who like to express with words. Our God is the God of words. He speaks. And for years and years and years, Christians have been taking words and shaping them to direct praise back to God for all he's done. So this is actually a hymn, which is also a poem written in the 18th century by an unknown author, but speaks a lot about death. It's called, Let Let Us Our Hearts and Voices Raise. It goes like this. Let us our hearts and voices raise to the sound, to sound the mighty Saviour's praise and sing, He died and lives again for us, the fallen sons of men. He bore our curse, our debt he paid, when all our woes on him were laid, our midnight darkness chased away and raised to eternal day. Tis finished, saith the dying God, for man cries all his wounds and blood. Salvation finished was for us in Jesus, bleeding on the cross. He, fainting, felt death's rude divorce to put his testament in force, wherein to man he did bequeath the labours of his life and death. Quickly he breaks death's feeble chain and to his throne ascends again. There sits adorned with wounds and blood and calls the wanderers home to God. Let all the sons of Zion sing unwearied praise to Christ their King. He is our saviour, God, and we will sound his name eternally. That's That's good, good. isn't it? Yeah, that's good. That's so good. Yeah. Well, thank you um, for joining us today. Thanks, Keith, for the discussion and Hugh as well for chiming in today. Fantastic. No worries. Let's see if I get given a mic again next time. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. It's great to have you with us. to talk to the producer. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, but we're glad that you could join us. Hopefully, again, uh, the discussion has um, promoted some ideas for you and ways of thinking and also thinking about how you use Scripture to shape your life uh, as Jesus does that through his gospel and his, by his spirit. 
Uh, also today, we used a book um, by Richard Borkham called Hope Against Hope. Uh, we'll obviously put those in our podcast notes for you to know. Uh, to think also some ideas uh, that shape came from a book called The Book Thief, which is not a Christian book, it's a novel. But some interesting ideas as the writer personifies death. If you want to check that out, I think it's a good read. Um, and also we'll put up in the notes some of the Bible references that we use for you. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this time. And uh, until next time, we'll see you then. Thanks, thanks Paul, Keith. Thanks, you. See you next time. <laughs>